It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. It's presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Each week, we talk about local sports topics, maybe a national sports topic or two. We are closing in on gambling season, although this week might be the worst gambling week in the history of gambling because really there's nothing to gamble on. I'm going to tell a story about that here in just a second. Um, And, of course, you can always ask a question to me and Rick, I guess, but just go to Twitter. Rick will hit you up. Just hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. You can ask me a question on any topic. Any topic. doesn't have to be sports-related. So, Rick, so I'm in in an online contest with a couple of friends on contest.covers.com. And our, our contest is we put a, a, a little bit of money in the pot each month, and we have to pick one game. It's called Streak Survivor. It's one of the games that they offer. It's a free game, um, but we put a little bit of money in the pot. It usually changes hands over golf, for lack of a better term, maybe over a beer or two. Um, and, and so this this week, I, I actually enter the week tied for first overall, and not just in our group, but in, like, the country or, or wherever on this website. And if you win the month, you win $1,000. So Monday, I had a streak of like eight in a row. You also can get some 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 swag and some monetary things depending on the plateaus you hit. The first plateau is if you hit seventeen in a row, which well, I've done on. all is the this, time. Is this baseball? Is this multi-sport? Any, any sport, whatever's okay. on the board, you can pick okay. whatever's on the board. You have to make um, uh, one pick a week, but usually we do it. You, have, you you can make a pick a day if you want to win the monthly contest. So Monday, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm tight. What am I going to, do I want to ruin my streak overall? Do I, I'm trying to go for the monthly win. I bet a WNBA total, Rick, a W and I hit it. It was an under in a game on Monday, a W. So then Tuesday came, they didn't offer anything, which I was disappointed. Yesterday, they didn't offer anything. Today, we're back to baseball. And and just for the record, uh, any baseball or uh, money line bet, they don't. They'll, they'll take it off the board if it's minus one one thirty or higher. So it's not like you can go. Oh, the Yankees are minus three twenty tonight. That's an easy win. I'll take them. So it, you, they're, they're, it, it isn't easy to do. But I was degenerate enough to take a WNBA under. Yeah, I that's won. something else. There are people who gamble on those games with real money, not even just with like a friendly contest for a couple of bucks. So at least you're not that bad. But yeah, I mean, when you when you get into making picks on WNBA games or like the KBO or whatever they call the Korean basketball yes. league. Like yes. I see people doing remember our team, the Korean beers, whatever happened to those Absolutely. guys, we should check Absolutely. up on them. Hey, I got, I got a friend still bets on Russian ping pong to this day. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking. I mean, that's, that's it, not good. It, that's not good. That, that, those aren't, those matches aren't fixed. No, no chance. Did you hear about those? Uh, what was it? Russian guys who were running the, the fake, like Indian Premier League, they were I just, did. They were no, playing it cricket. Indian, it was cricket. Yeah, it was cricket. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And they were just playing it like with the same group of guys day after day, running different games that were all faked, and they were only filming like a really close, tight shot, so you couldn't see that there were no fans. That they were at the like. It's just, I mean, an absurd proposition. It probably only lasted what a couple of weeks before they figured it out, but it's just in- insane. It'd be like if you have your own little wiffle ball league in your backyard and you say you can gamble on this and film it really tight. How, how do you think Russian mobsters take to being lied to and cheated in a gambling ring? I'm going to guess you'll be dead in two weeks. Have a good time with that. Yeah, I hope I hope you got enough money to make it worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of ridiculous things, we're recording this at 943 in the morning right now here on uh, Thursday morning. The same night as Jimmy Buffett is getting ready to play at Riverbend and skinny. I mean, there are people that are wasted right now down in Riverbend's parking lot. They've been going since 7 a.m. Yeah, I, I watched our newscast uh, this morning on, on Local 12, and, and we had a reporter down there. She's a new reporter, and, and I saw my man who was cooking up a bunch of breakfast things shirtless at 9 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, dude, you, you, you have no chance to even hear my man sing tonight. No I chance. Did. It's an absurd concept. Like, and I, I like having a good time as much as anybody, but who wants to go tailgate for 13 hours? I'm 13 not, yeah. hours. Unless, unless, here's the only thing, unless you, unless you get a little bit of your drink on, a little bit of food on, big time nap. I mean, the, the other thing is too, hey, today is supposed to be a little bit better. To, I, I actually worked out in the yard a little bit yesterday 
um, like a like a ding dong in the heat of the day, and was uh, was sweating up a storm. But I can't imagine sitting out in the sun for that long today, too, right? I, it's supposed to be better today, but it's not going to be great. Oh, so I mean, how many how many people do you think are going to pass out from? Oh. Heat? It, yeah, it, it, because listen, hey, Jimmy Buffett, it's not like his demographic is uh, is people that are in, in good health to begin with. No, although days. it's amazing how many young people there continue are, you're to right. go because of the party. But but there's also a lot of older people. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my parents were big parrot heads. This will be like Rod Stewart Redux, like I was at last week, where people had canes and walkers <laughs> and oxygen tanks. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Well, uh, there was the concert a few nights later great american ballpark that was like uh def leopard and yeah, the, poison the metal. and yes yeah well and it was funny because we we had gone to the wife's family pool the next day and all these old people are stumbling in hungover sore and they're telling stories about how it was great people watching because all of these people who are you know thought they looked hot in the 70s wearing these leather outfits and crazy stuff we're wearing the same outfits. Oh, yeah. But they yeah. certainly didn't look the same. Yeah, that's the, yeah, I was going to say, too much spandex for me at that age. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry for that long intro here <laughs> to the podcast. Let's get in and talk some sports. Yes, the indeed. The Bengals announced the two newest members of their Ring of Honor on Wednesday. Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis joined last year's inaugural class that included Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley in the team's Ring of Honor. Skinny, what are your thoughts on those selections? Well, Willie Anderson was one of the guys I wrote about that that I thought I, I would have voted for, for for this year. I thought he was an absolute slam dunk no-brainer. And now here comes the Debbie Downer portion of the program. I like me some ideas of Curtis a lot, but he was way further down the road for me. I know he played in an era where it was a running game in the NFL. Um, he did go to four Pro Bowls. He was a, a three-time uh, second-team All-Pro selection, and those are those are things – but those were all in his first four years. And if you go after that, he was a fairly pedestrian, okay, complimentary receiver. And again, I don't want to crap on him because I, I do. he's one of the guys that I do think should be in the ring of honor at some point. Um, and I'm not going to rain on anybody's parade. I'm just giving my opinion because you asked it. I, he wouldn't. He was not on my radar to vote for. I, I think I told you this year with Lamar... I, just please, people, go look at Lamar Parrish. It's really not that hard. He was literally an all-decade cornerback selection. He was a six-time, or I'm sorry, yeah, six-time and eight-year Pro Bowler. He was a four-time All-Pros. I mean, the, the guy was just spectacular as a player. And and as I mentioned, I would have voted for him this year. My next year, my two would have been uh, Chad Johnson and, and Corey Dillon. And then I might have considered, might have considered Isaac Curtis. I, I, I'm I happy for him. He's a class act. He lives in the area. I've played in some golf tournaments that he's been in. And, and he is really just a good dude. And again, very good player. We get caught up in very good somehow being great. And and I'm surprised that, because he's, he's my generation, right, Rick? And I'm the one stumping for another player from my generation, Lamar Parrish. If you saw those Bengals teams, there's no comparison between the two as players. There's just not. I'm sorry. There's not. Happy for him, but you got it wrong, folks. We both had Willie Anderson on our top two when we were when this right. topic came up when they first introduced the list of names that were the candidates for this year's group. And we both liked Willie Anderson there. I had Chad Johnson as yes, my did. number one guy as an yep. automatic. And I, I have to wonder, Skinny, in this case, and I actually had a conversation about this yesterday with someone. They have that clause in the voting process that says your vote counts for the number of consecutive years you've been a season ticket member. Yep. Which kind of makes the whole process a little ambiguous. It makes it, I don't know, it, it, it would be hard to prove anything funny was going on here. But you have to kind of wonder with the Isaac Curtis thing, is there the possibility that they're looking at the ages of these guys and saying, look, Isaac Curtis is in his 70s. Who knows how many years left we have with him? Chad's going to be here for a while. He's easy to get in town. He's he's done a bunch of things with us already. He's already around the franchise. We'll get him here in the next year or two. Do you think there's any possibility that there was a little yes friendly rigging of the process going on here? Yeah, I do. Um and and I say that because Lamar Parrish did not leave the Bengals in in good stead when he was dealt to the Washington then Redskins. Um, he wanted more money. He left in a in a contract dispute. There were some other things, uh, apparently that that he and 
at the time Paul Brown did, did not see eye to eye on. And so it does make me wonder, because like I said, I, I get the whole, they, they want to award older season ticket holders. And I think that's fine. All that's good. But if you're an older season ticket holder, there's no way you are voting for Isaac Curtis over Lamar Parrish if you saw the two of them play. You're just not. I promise you you're not. And so, yes, I think there's, there is there is some of that. But again, Lamar Parrish is of that age too. So it makes me wonder, okay, Isaac Curtis, he's in town. Great guy. Just a, a, a full-time class act. Lamar Parrish had some issues with Paul. Do we want to really put him in now, even though the votes say it? I, again, if you're voting as an older voter, you had to have voted for Lamar Parrish before you voted for Isaac Curtis or even thought about it, if you even know anything about the game. And then you go to the, if you're voting in a wide receiver. Correct. There's no chance it's not And I'm Chad with you. Like Johnson I said, my, my, yeah, my two this year were Willie and Lamar. My two for next year would have been Corey Dillon and Chad. And then I would have thought about Isaac Curtis. Thought about Isaac Curtis. Again, I think he should be in at some point. I still think they should have done 10 to begin with. And he, I, you know, Rick, I'd have to go back and look because I wrote a column on this um, when it f- was first discussed of, of, you know, I think they should have a 10-member class. I had Sam Weish and Forrest Gregg in, in that class for sure. I don't think I had Isaac in my first 10. Yeah, I have no real issue with this. Like you said, I like Isaac Curtis overall. He seems like a good enough guy. And uh, he was going to get in this at some point, I think. Yes, yes. And deservedly so at some point, yes. Right. And it's and it's fine. It's probably a good thing that they're trying to get him in there sooner than later. Because the age thing, I get all of that. It's just, like you said, if, if you're from the older generation, it's hard to imagine that he was first on your list. If you're going for a wide receiver in the franchise's history, it's hard to believe that he was first on your list. Just in general, it's a little hard for me to believe that he was the guy who was second in the vote this year. I mean, Rick, Rick I, I could argue he's not even a top five wide receiver in team history. I could I, argue. I think a lot of people could make that argument, and I don't think it's real tough to do. To be and, and, and some of it, yes, is generational. Again, he grew up in an era where they ran the ball. He also grew up in an era where it was 14 games for a period of time. Um, he grew up in an era where they actually changed, they literally changed the rule because of him, uh, where, where you could get mugged at the line of scrimmage and almost get tackled before you could get off the line. Now we have the, you can bump one time in a five-yard zone, you can't bump after that. That is the Isaac Curtis, that is literally the Isaac Curtis rule. So they did change a rule because of him. But again, I'll ask this question, and I'm not trying to spring this on you. How many 1,000-yard seasons did he have, Rick? Do you know? What was it, Two. How about zero? Zero. How many 900-yard seasons did he have? One. One. Again, really good player. And I, and I don't want to crap on the parade of Isaac Curtis. I I just – this was – they got this wrong. They got this wrong, and you're right. It feels like there's a little – there's a little bit of uh, fudging going on here, for lack of a better term. Yeah, there's a highlight reel going around Twitter yesterday of Isaac Curtis after this got announced, and – it was cool. It was cool to see. And for his time, he was one of the more athletic no players. And it's amazing looking back at how unathletic those guys are compared to today. Yeah, like no, we just I, keep evolving in terms of the speed, the quickness correct. of our athletes. It's like watching those guys, they look like they are stuck in mud compared to like a Jamar chase clip today. Yeah. And, and that's why I don't want to compare the fact of, you know, he didn't have a thousand yard season. He didn't, he, Right. It's a little Kobe. different game back then. It's tough Correct. to compare the numbers. Correct. It's hard to compare the numbers. But the numbers are still, after you get past the first few years, are pretty darn pedestrian. And if I'm ranking receivers in, in team history, I'm not sure he's in my top five. I'm just not. Switching gears here a little bit, Josina Anderson reported last week that Jesse Bates has no intentions of reporting to training camp nor playing on the franchise tag this year. Friday's deadline for franchise tag players to sign long-term contracts came and went without a new deal for the veteran safety. Skinny, what do you think happens next with Jesse Bates at this point? Well, if Jacina Anderson reported that, then then he'll be at camp on on Wednesday. Trust me. No, I mean, um, I I I think he does sit out camp. I think it's more of a a pouty process, and I think it's some of his agent saying, you know, let's do this. Um, I will predict that on. The first on the so so the, you know nowadays we have the three preseason games right and then we have the the basically two weeks until they they play their first game there's kind of an extra week in there now in the preseason so I I will predict on the Wednesday before they play their opener against against Pittsburgh the Jesse Bates signs. So what are the options right now? It's either sign and play under the tag, correct? Sit out 
some chunk of the season or all of it if he decides Correct. to, or three requests to trade, I guess. Or, or yeah, or the Bengals without a request trade him. Yeah, yeah, those are the three. It's a trade, it's it's sign and play or sit. I just don't think sit's a great option for him. Here's what happens: he's got a, he, he got a new agent, and I'm going to guarantee you that agent puffed his chest out and said, I'm going to get you top dollar. And he doesn't deserve top dollar. Again, I I, well, I feel like I'm, I'm on Debbie Downer Street today. He's in that class of really good player, but not great. He's not elite. I'm sorry. He's not. Here, here's, here's, what's, here's what's happened with Jesse Bates in, in, in that section of the fan base that thinks he's great and an agent that thinks he's great. Pro Football Focus rated him number one in the NFL two years ago um, in the regular season. You know what? They ain't the be-all, end-all. He's never made a Pro Bowl. He's never been an All-Pro. He's good. He's really good. He was great in the postseason last year. That doesn't make you elite and doesn't allow you to earn top dollar. And the Bengals have drawn the line in the sand of, we're going to, I think they would have paid him something, but they're not going to pay him top dollar. And I guarantee you, the new agent said, I'll get you top dollar, my man. I'm going to puff my chest out. It's kind of the Freddie Freeman situation where the agent probably told Freddie, I'm getting you top dollar. And then you know, we still know how the negotiation process went. Freddie was left in limbo going, wait a minute, what what just happened here? You 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 kind of screwed me out of staying in Atlanta. And so he fired his agent. I wouldn't be shocked at the end of this if that's not what happens with, with Jesse Bates. Uh, pro football focus ranked him as that, that top safety in the league two years ago, but they didn't have him that as this year. In fact, right. this year during the regular season, he was not good. He was no. really kind of below average, to be quite honest. And, and then he made some... Big time, big time plays in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. Yep. But the fact of the matter is he's been inconsistent. And you can say, well, he let it get into his head about his contract negotiation and that whole situation. And he did. He admitted it did. And I think think it was true. I think he was actually being very honest about that. And that's fine. But you know what that also says to me? You're not a professional. If you can't handle that and still play at the high level, how can we trust you to consistently be at the highest level? There are plenty of other guys who go through those situations that no matter what's going on off the field, they still perform at the highest level because that's who they are. They're just dogs. Jesse Bates isn't that guy. No, and and, and here's what happens with this is is we're we're now running him down, and and it really shouldn't come to that. It it shouldn't. I like him as a player. I, I hope he plays this year. If he plays this year, this team is better because he plays this year. But Again, he's never been an All-Pro. He's never been selected to a Pro Bowl. Those aren't be-all end-alls, and neither is pro-freaking-football-focus rating him number one. Just because they did it doesn't make it true. Are you surprised at all that he seems willing to sit out training camp all of a sudden? Because we, we had talked about that well, leading up, and we thought, uh, I don't know. It seems a little bit more like a bluffing thing. He's out there working out by himself. He's not coming to the, the voluntary mini camp, but he's probably going to be at training camp. Are you surprised that he's sitting out? Yes and no. The the no part of it is, (coughs) excuse me, um, this coaching staff is in that kind of group of new coaches that don't really think it it matters to play preseason games. And that's fine. They they just, you know, they're not going to play their guys for the most part. Maybe a series. I think the first team defense last preseason played a series against Tampa Bay and it was night, night, see you later. That's it. We're done for the preseason. So it's not like he, he was going to play many snaps, if any, in preseason at all. It's not like there's a new defensive coordinator putting in a new system. It's not like he's a dope that can't pick up whatever new nuances they put in. Um, and he may even call a teammate and say, hey, what did you guys do on the whiteboard today? Hey, Von Bell, what did you guys do on the whiteboard today? And Von can tell him, and he will have all the mental reps he needs without being at training camp. And that, that he's, to some degree, if he skips camp, it's, it's less time to worry about getting injured in a weird way. And so I'm fine with that. That's why I say... I could see the whatever Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before that opener when when practice finally does matter that Jesse Bates signs the contract in place. He ain't missing a game check. In my look, training camp, you're not missing any money anyway. You get a per diem. Uh, he has not signed his tag, so there's no fines involved. So if he sits that out, no worse for the wear. Um, you know, missing some conditioning, but these guys they work out on their own, and I've I'm never gonna believe Jesse Bates is gonna let himself slip into bad condition as a player. So all the things that that you think mattered back in the day, where oh my God, he's gonna miss camp, he's gonna miss the mental reps, and he's gonna miss playing in preseason games. None of that matters anymore. Their 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 stuff is to their credit. They have decided as a coaching staff, we think practice is important. We don't think contact is important. That's fine. Okay. You, you make sure your guys get to get to opening day healthy. Um, this is a different day and age in the NFL. So I don't think it's a big deal that he misses any of this. He's not missing a game check in my opinion. He's just not.
I'm all for that concept of our starters don't need to be playing preseason games, limit contact as much as possible this time of year, all for that. I also wonder, and maybe this is uh, an old man comment here coming out of me, but how, how do your teammates feel about that? Even the veteran guys who say, go get your money, Jesse, we're all here in your corner. How much do they love the fact that they're there in the heat at training camp and doing all these things together and you're not showing up? But they're also under contract, Rick, and technically he's not right now. Right, but I think a lot of those guys would say, hey, look, man, you're if you're going to sign the franchise tag, you're still getting paid a lot of money to come out here and help us this year. We were in the Super Bowl last year. We've got a chance to do something special again. We'd like you to be a leader and be a part of this. Yeah, yeah, that, that and that's fair. I, I think, and in, in, in a, lo- a lot of ways, the, the whole sitting out camp, there's there's no leverage any longer except for pushing for a trade. That's the only other thing that, that if he wants out of all this, is he's, if he is his camp or pushing for a trade. And I go back to, you hire an agent, you're trusting that agent, that agent has told you he's going to get you this. He has not done that to this point, but you still have to trust the agent and swallow hard. This may not even be a Jesse Bates decision. This may be a, all right, I hired you, man. I'm going to have to trust you to do what's best, and now you're going to have to work me a trade. Because that's where we're at with this. It, it literally is. The Bengals are either going to trade, because there's no longer leverage. There's not, it's not like if he sits out week one of camp, they come to a new extension. Can't do it. Can't do it till the end of the season. So we're, we're past that part of the program. That ended last Friday. So now, and you really don't hear the push of a trade, right? Um, you hear people talk about that being an option. We're talking yeah. about it being an option. It's These more fans can't... and content creators that need something to talk about. Correct. It's not come from his camp yet about, about a trade. So I'm not sure what the leverage play is other than, all right, I'm just going to sit out camp and just, just, as a, it, it, just a pout. And then I'll come, like I said, I'll come for the first week of the regular season and all will be good. And if he makes plays and this team makes another run and he starts 17 games, or hopefully 16 because he sits out the finale because they've clinched something, then all will be forgotten, and then he can go get his money somewhere else. I promise at some point we're not going to only talk about Jesse Bates when it comes to speaking about the Bengals, but this offseason it's been the big storyline, and and we're back here again. I've got one more thing about this because NFL Network reporter James Palmer is convinced Bates is the second most important Bengals player behind Joe Burrow. He said this week, quote, I think Jesse Bates is the most important person to the Cincinnati Bengals after Joe Burrow. They change so much of what they do defensively throughout the week, from week to week, but also throughout the game. What's the biggest part of that? It's how you communicate on the field. He's the guy who sees everything, is the unquestioned leader of this defense. Skitty, what do you make of Palmer's comment about Jesse Bates being the second most important player on the Bengals after Joe Burrow? He has he has an agent's ass to kiss, and that's exactly <laughs> what he's doing. But that's I, 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 well, did, I like did you go back Paul. and look, too? I, I like James Palmer. I do. I I do. I, I honestly, I, I think he's pretty good. But listen, those guys are kissing so much ass from agent standpoints to get things um, on a national basis that, that that's directly from that. That is kissing an agent's ass. Well, did, did you happen to like look at James Palmer and uh, Jesse Bates agent? It's like David. David Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Did you happen to like cross reference them at all? I did not. Uh try it because James Palmer's name comes up with a lot of this dude's clients. And he's always like, it's not just him giving out info on one of the clients. It's uh, David Mulligata got the deal done or something. He always adds something in about the agent. So he's like clearly friends with this guy. And this is how it works, right? Like you see it all the time with college basketball coaches. Chris Mack always gave all his info to Jeff Goodman. Mick Cronin gave all of his info to John Rothstein. They have their guys that they get stuff from, and these guys go out and drink together and they're friends. That's exactly what's happening here. No question. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know. I honestly did not know that, just just for, for clarity's sake. And, and you know I didn't know that because you asked it. I really didn't. Um, but that's clearly what's, what's what's at play here. And and it, it's it, – it, no, his comment is nonsensical. I like Again, I like Jesse Bates. I'm not here to piss on Jesse Bates. I'm really not. But he's not the most important player on that defense – um, this defense got better because they signed Trey Hendrickson as a free agent because Logan Wilson became great. I mean, honestly, that, that and because uh, uh, Chidabay Wuzie and Mike Hilton came in and they transformed the cornerback. So I'm on four players out of 11 that transformed this defense. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And Larry Ogunjobi came in and was great. I mean, and now I'm on five players I've got ahead of him. Yeah, and like, obviously that term uh, mo- most important is sort of ambiguous. You have to define exactly how you mean that. But the names you just said, uh, the, at least the first four with Hendrickson, Wilson, Awuzie, and Hilton. 
I don't think there's any question that all four of those guys are not only not only had better seasons than Jesse Bates last year, were better players, but they are more important, meaning their position is of more importance and more value to the defense overall. And not to mention, I think part of how you would judge most important is if you take this guy out, how big of an impact does that make to the way your unit functions? And I think if you took out any of those guys, Hendrickson, Wilson, Ouzie, or Hilton, it hurts your defense a lot more than if you take out a safety in Jesse Bates. It just, that's the way the game works. Especially now. It, 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 it might have hurt last year when you didn't have a ton of depth. You did sign Ricardo Allen and Ricardo got hurt. So if something had happened to Von Bell and Jesse Bates, you were a little bit thin at the position. Guess what? You're no longer, you're no longer thin at the position. You address that in the offseason. Jesse Bates, come hell or high water, whether he's here or not, you have depth now at that position. You'll survive. And, and he said it for the entire team after yeah. Joe Burrow, yeah. not just the yeah. defense. We're naming four or five guys on the defense that undoubtedly you would say are more important or more valuable than Jesse Bates. If you want to take us to the offensive side too and say the whole team, I mean, how many names am I going to name off on the offensive side before I start thinking about Jesse Bates? It's almost the entire offensive side of football. Yeah, James Palmer needs to get his lips off of his ass, off that agent's ass is what he needs to do. Yeah, I, I, I that was an absurd comment to make. I, I know you have to say things when you're doing I, TV I, I and you're a national guy, and, and sometimes things just come out, but that was a silly thing to say. Yeah, and like I said, I like him. I do. I like James Palmer a lot, but that, that, there's, there's, that, that is a clear agenda-driven comment. All right, Skinny, before we move on from the Bengals, let me ask you this. Training camp starts next week. What are the most interesting non-Jesse Bates storylines headed into training camp? Well, I, I think, honestly, number one is is who's going to be the left guard. I think that's the one, literally the one position you can argue the Jesse Bates position because if he's not there, somebody has to fill that, and it'll be the rookie Dax Hill from, from, from the start who will fill that with first-team rest. But I think clearly... Who's the left guard? I mean, who who's who is that? The, that's literally the last position up for grabs. Every other starting spot coming into camp is is solidified. Um, and, and so, who who wins that position? To me, is I think the, the biggest thing of all. I, I did five questions a couple of weeks ago. We actually went through some of those. Bates was the number one at the time, but left guard was number two right behind it because um, you know I, I think hopefully sooner rather than later you find who that starter is, and now you've got your five man front, and let's go to work with them. Um, I think it's the, 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 the most important one because it's literally the, the one job that's open. Any other storylines that you're looking to aside from the left guard one that <laughs> really, like I said, I, when I did the five questions, one of my five questions was the, is there really a competition at, at, at punter and long snapper? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, we're going that's to special where, teams. That's where, that's where we're at with this group. Co- correct. Um, I, I think some, some depth pieces, um, you know, across the board, whether it be who's the fourth wide receiver, um, or who, how does that wide receiver room fill out? You could argue, you know, how does Hayden Hurst work out? Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Hayden Hurst, but, um, you know, how does he work out? But really, the great part is there aren't a lot of questions. There really aren't, and that's a great thing. It's crazy to think about this time last year going into the season, the oh, amount of Lord. uncertainty and the amount of questions you had going in compared to this year where a lot of this is figured out. I mean, granted, you have to – get it all going in the right direction again. Don't screw this thing up. And that happens oftentimes when a team loses a Super Bowl. There's always kind of that hangover year. But in terms of personnel and how are you going to replace this or that, there's not a lot of that going on. This this roster is pretty well set. Yeah, there were a lot of questions going into the last year, and they were compounded by early camp where Joe Burrow, he was struggling. Remember the, the whole, you know, can he, can he, overcome the, the mental process of, of dealing with the knee situation. Yeah, Jamar, and it was, Jamar Chase it, it, can't catch the ball. Correct. Jamar Chase can't catch the ball. Oh my gosh, did they miss on that draft pick? And those answers, those things were quickly answered when the season finally began. But yeah, we don't have those questions this year. I'm talking, dude, I'm talking about who's the left guard. We'll live. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if worst yeah. comes to worst, when the second question is about special teams, correct. You're in a good spot roster. wise. That's, that's exactly right. No, I, I mean, that's just that that's really it. All right, Skitty. The American League beat the National League three to two in Tuesday night's MLB All Star game, making it nine consecutive wins for the AL. Luis Castillo pitched one scoreless inning. He got Miguel Cabrera to ground out and struck out Kyle Tucker and Lewis Arise. Did well, I got a few questions here about the All Star game? First of all, did you watch it all? I did not. Um, it I was a, it was a staple of mine growing up when when the two leagues did not have interleague play. And back in the day where you had the the Saturday game of the week, 
Monday night baseball and your local team, the Reds, would do uh, they would ne- they would do like one home game a year, maybe two. They would do almost all the road games, not all, but most of the road games. That was your television viewing for baseball. So you, the only time you ever saw the other league was on the Saturday game of the week if there happened to be an American League game they picked or Monday night baseball. And so it was a big deal then for these guys to face each other. Um, it was you know. Clayton Kershaw versus, you know, Ronald Acuna, or I'm sorry, versus Aaron Judge. Um, you didn't, you can see that now in the regular season. You didn't see that back then. Those guys didn't face, so that was a big deal back then. It's just not a big deal anymore. I will say, I, I wish I'd have seen, because I caught the very tail end of the clip, the, the the kid that was mic'd up, the Manoa kid, the pitcher. Um, it sounded fabulous, the way he reacted to some of this stuff, like literally talking as he was pitching, um, and, and, and kind of calling his shot, that sounded fun, but for, I just, the game has no appeal for me. I, 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 I will say, I, I take it back, I, Goofy's, Goofy's the, the only thing I watched was when Gonsolin gave up the home, the, the home, the two run homer to Stanton and then the home run to Byron Buxton. That was literally, I think the only thing I saw the whole game. Well, I mean, you saw like 75% of yes. the scoring. Yeah. Yes, correct. So I view all-star games and not just major league baseball, but most of them similar to how I view award shows when they do the, the Grammys or the Emmys or how I view the, the drafts for the different leagues. I don't really watch them on TV, but the way social media works and stuff. Now you can kind of see all the highlights and the big things that happen because people are putting up video clips as soon as they come across. So it's like, if you're online, you catch bits and pieces and all the things that matter throughout the thing. So I didn't watch any of the game on TV, but I saw all the mic'd up pitcher segments. I watched Luis Castillo's inning of pitching. Uh, I saw enough to know that Big Poppy was extremely annoying in his on-air role. So, <laughs> so I, Big Poppy's annoying. Like, I know people love him because he's all happy all the time, but he is terrible on air. Well, I cannot no, nothing, I will say nothing was as annoying, and I didn't see it live, but I've certainly heard the replays of it multiple times. The little TikTok guy singing the, uh, the national anthem at the Home Run Derby. <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that. Fortunately, I'm not sure how I missed it. But Oof. do you do you have any idea who it was? No, I just called little <laughs> just TikTok little guy. TikTok guy. All right, fair TikTok enough. Guy. I would say, Rick, you will find it quickly if you Google "home run derby national anthem bad." All right, fair enough. I'll look at that after the show. Uh, the the jerseys were a big point of contention. I didn't I, like I them. Saw the jerseys. I did. I didn't like that. I I, I like. I mean, they were way they better were, than last year's. Yeah, I I. I liked back in the day where you wore your team uniform. Yes, that's the big issue. And that's why I think we'll always hate the all-star jerseys because that was awesome. That was one of the coolest parts is seeing all the mismatched uniforms out on the field. And uh, these ones, I didn't have a huge problem with the one of them were better. I don't know if it was the road or the home, but the, the like grays were better than the dark ones, but overall, yeah, they were, they were okay. I didn't hate them. I thought, like you said, the mic'd up pitcher portion was really cool. I yeah, watched I wish that. I, I wish on I, like I said, I, the, the only thing I've caught was the very tail end of Minot when he struck the last guy out. I wish I'd have watched the whole thing because it honestly it did sound fabulous. Yeah, it's just fun listening to the pitchers talk through what they're doing in terms of each pitch, how they're trying to throw at a guy, and then I honestly the celebration like after they throw a good pitch or they put it where they want or you know they get the strike but it wasn't where they want and you hear them talk about that. That stuff's fascinating. It's fun. Like that, that would be awesome if there was a way to really implement that into the game all the time. But it also does kind of turn it into this exhibition feel and it doesn't feel serious all of a sudden when you start doing that. So I can't yeah. imagine them going for it. My, my final takeaway though is because I, I, when I went, went and looked at the box score, just to, actually, I, I wanted to see if Luis Castillo had pitched, which he obviously did, as you mentioned, and, and through a scoreless innings. If you go down the box score, I mean, Tony Gonsolin was the only one that got roughed up. And that's a guy who was 11 and 0 with a sub three ERA. And it happens. That's baseball. He gave up, you know, home runs because. Occasionally guys run into a ball. But if you go down the list of all the guys that pitched and the way they pitched in the inning they pitched, it still shows you how dominant great pitchers are over great hitters. I mean, dom- not just good, dominant. Yeah, I saw some people complaining that the game was boring because there wasn't much scoring after the first you know handful of innings, four or five innings, whatever it was. To me, that's kind of a good sign that you had a good game, right? The, the pitching, if you have great pitchers, that's how it should work in the Correct. game of baseball. That's kind of how the game is built. I wouldn't really have a problem with that. I, I like if you're watching the all-star game, you're there to see the best pitchers go at it. And I think, you know, sometimes that's going to go in favor of the pitcher. Sometimes it's going to go in favor of the best hitters in the world. But 
I wouldn't have a big problem in terms of it being a boring game. Yeah, I, I think everybody always equates sports to that of, of if it's high scoring, it's exciting. But no, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you know, low scoring, well played games in any sport um, are still good, including GCL basketball. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have uh, anything to say about this other than Shohei Otani is incredible. It's ridiculous. We don't. It's, we don't mention ridiculous. enough how absurd he is. No, it. It really. It, it's funny. It really is ridiculous. Um, you know, you look back at, at at the at the career of Babe Ruth, who was a great pitcher before he became a a a great hitter, right? And really, since that point in time, no one's been a two way player like that until we get to this cat. And he's he's not Babe Ruth, but damn if he ain't close. I mean. Did, I mean, he is kind of better than Babe Ruth in some ways in terms of the pitching thing, right? I mean, oh, I don't know. Go back, go back a little bit. That, that was a whole Red different Sox. era, too, in terms of no, how. No they, question. Yeah, they, no question. Yeah, I mean, I, no, no question about that. But again, think about the, the 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 gap in time from from Babe Ruth playing to today, and we haven't had a cat like that since Babe Ruth. Well, that's the thing. We always talk about Babe Ruth as sort of this mythical character, and a lot of times that was always prefaced with it was a different game back then. You'll never see it again because guys can't do that now. Well, this guy, this guy's not only doing it, he's a monster at both. Yep. He's as good as it gets at both. It's hard to believe we're seeing it. And it's hard to believe that as good as he is. And as much as everyone recognizes that he's great, it feels like it's not as a big enough deal. And maybe that's just the, the popularity of baseball at this point, but I feel like he should be appreciated more than he is somehow, even though well, everyone recognizes he's great. Yeah, I, I think two twofold: a playing on the West Coast, and b the fact they haven't been in the postseason. I mean, yeah. so so he's not really been in the limelight whatsoever. But you're right. I mean, if he was playing in New York uh, with the Yankees or the Mets, because they're both really good this year, and playing in postseasons, uh, I, I think people would more people would sit up and take take more notice, like you're talking about. But I, I think there's a couple things in play there. All right, Skinny, it's time to talk about one of our favorite topics, college football realignment, and specifically the college football playoff in this case. You know, conference media day season, so all these big conferences are having their media days. SEC did it this week, and SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey spoke on Monday, and as you might expect, conference realignment and an expanded playoff were among the topics of discussion for him. Sankey essentially said that the SEC was comfortable with 16 schools, and had no urgency to add more. But when it came to the future of the college football playoff, his comments were a little bit more interesting. He said, quote, we'll consider the number of teams and whether there should be any guarantee for conference champions at all. Just earn your way in. There's something healthy competitively about that and increases expectations and support around programs. Skinny, what do you make of Greg Sankey's comments about possibly implementing an expanded college football playoff with no automatic bids and what do you think is the most realistic and best option for a playoff system at this point now that we've had this new round of realignment? Yeah, I, I you know, for, for the longest time, I've been of the ilk of with the five power conferences, which we're, we're going to obviously do away with here at some point and consolidate it to probably three at most and maybe even two, as we've talked about. Um, You've always said eight teams should be correct. in five, five guarantees and then three at large, right? Correct. And and I kind of use that model off the NCAA tournament and, and pe- people can, can look and go, well, yeah, but this team from this conference doesn't. Okay. But again, they're part of the power structure they're, They They get an automatic bid and they may get obliterated. They may be the eighth seed because we can seed them just like you do in college basketball. We can seed Alabama one and in the day USC eighth, if you think the PAC 12 champion sucks and that, that that's all fine. I, I have no problem with that. But now that we're at this point, I mean, so so how are we earning our way in? So if we have, let's just go to the model of nine or ten SEC games. And I don't know who the hell they're going to play for the other two. Will it be across to the Big Ten? Will it be across to whatever becomes of the Big 12? And let's say SEC team goes nine and three um, and two of the, so do they get in because they earn their way through the SEC? I, I think, again, it's, it's the powerful trying to be more powerful. It's all about money grab. I get that. That's what your job is as a commissioner. Um, I thought the ACC guy came off very sniveling where um, his comments yesterday, and I'm paraphrasing, were, you know, this all needs to be good for all of us. Or, uh, no, it's huh. they, they, don't, they don't care about all of you, Chief. I'm sorry for your, your luck on that regard. So, yeah, I, to me, for Greg Sankey, it's, hey, if we have a playoff one day and there's five of our schools getting in, so be it. The hell with the rest of y'all. Well. Sankey, Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12, and Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame put together 
a proposal this past season. It was like what January or yeah, December, sometime like yeah. around that. Yep, they yep. vote on it, and the idea was twelve team playoff, six guaranteed bids to the top six conference champions, plus six more which is selected perfect. by a committee. I think it's great, which I think is great. Right, the Pac-12 and the ACC and the Big Ten formed some type of alliance to shoot that idea down, and now, I mean the the ACC is. Pretty powerless. much screwed, fairly yeah, screwed. Power, powerless. The Pac-12 probably isn't even going to be a conference any longer That's going correct. forward. And they could have solidified themselves and stabilized the whole situation for the foreseeable yep. future just by agreeing to what the SEC and Notre Dame, which are the two most powerful players right now, wanted. Notre Dame holds more cards than anybody in terms of the future of realignment right now because – Everybody wants them, and and like the SEC knows they're probably going to the Big Ten if they do join a conference. So the SEC is also trying to do anything it can to keep Notre Dame happy because they don't want them to join the Big Ten. They want them to stay independent. So it's almost hard to believe that the Big Ten didn't do that purposefully back in December, January to make sure that the Pac-12 remained vulnerable so USC and UCLA could be poached. That's a good point. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and, and listen – you know, the, the Big Ten will be a part of whatever college football playoff comes around, too. I mean, so... For sure, yeah. I mean, they're they're in. It's them and the SEC yeah. controlling everything. Now. Yes. And and the Big 12 is probably the, the next one to survive. I think the ACC could survive, and it's maybe going to have to survive only because of the the uh, the, the grain of rights. But it still could be an outsider when it comes to the playoff, right? I mean, it could still be, hey, you're the fourth conference. You're the fourth big boy in the room, but... Hey, we don't like your schools, and yeah, okay, maybe you you're gonna have Clemson go through undefeated, and then we'll take you. But a one loss team for your conference, nah, sorry, have a good day, go to your little bowl game. Well, I mean, again, it's crazy that the SEC was willingly saying, I hey, know. let's give out six guaranteed yep. bids to the six conference champs, and now they're incentivized to do nothing but at right. large bids. They want to ensure their teams have the most chances to get in, and also that Notre Dame feels good about remaining independent, so they have a good chance to get in with as many at large bids as possible. So it's like, sorry, sorry, ACC, sorry, Big 12, sorry, Pac-12. Pac We're going to get as many SEC and Big 10 schools in Notre Dame in here as possible, and you guys can fight for what scraps come out of that. Yep. Now, the good thing is I do think we're still going to have expanded some type of expanded playoff, yeah, I and I do think it's, it's going to have at least at large bids so people have a chance. Because, but, again, but, I think Notre Dame is going to ensure that. Here's what, so let's expand to eight teams. Here's what you're going to have. You're going to have the winner of the of the Big Ten West, the winner of the Big Ten Central, the winner of the Big Ten East, the winner of the SEC South, the winner of the SEC Central, the winner of the SEC North. Those are six of your automatic bids right there, and Notre Dame. There's seven. Yeah, and I mean, if it's only eight, that doesn't leave a lot of room for other teams. Nope, the one thing I do wonder is we've talked about Yes, the Big Ten, the SEC are going to be so far above everybody else in terms of resources and all that if, if it plays out the way we think it's going to play out going forward. But there's still going to be power level schools in these other conferences, whether it's the ACC hanging on for a while or if they merge with someone else or the Big 12, if they steal a couple teams here. Don't you think there's going to be some advantage? to be in the top dog in one of those conferences or the top couple dogs to where you can still have that really pristine looking record by beating up on the rest. Cause like if you're in the sec or the big 10, we're talking about, Oh, all these teams are going to get in, but at least initially there's going to have to be some recalibration in how we look at college teams records. Cause we're used to teams going undefeated or having only one loss. If these teams start having three or four losses, I'm not so sure they're, you know, you're really going to have to adjust how you value these teams and make some type of like Ken Palm system for them or, or strength of schedule system that really elevates that side of it and how tough your schedule is going to be. Because I can't see teams with like three losses getting into the playoff. I can, because like I said, I, it feels like we're going to this NFL model of, of uh, regional portions of conferences because you're not going to have Rutgers fly across the country to play UCLA and USC every year in all the minor sports, all the Olympic sports. And so if that's the case, then I, I do think you're going to have these things pretty regionalized. I think you can have a, you can have a big 10 West of, I'm just throwing this out there of Iowa, um, USC, UCLA, Nebraska, Minnesota, a five team, whatever it is. 
uh, you're going to come to the number. Maybe if you have 16 teams in the league, it might be four regional things. And just like the NFL, you might have a have a have a, a wild card team that goes 12 and five, and a division winner that goes nine and eight. That team won their division, so they get in. I, I can see it. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they figure the whole college football playoff thing out, because to me, that is the big key in terms of keeping the sport together and keeping it fun for the fans. If you somehow lose the college football playoff altogether or just the Big Ten and the SEC say, screw you guys, we're just doing our I'm own thing, I, then it's all done. Then I, This whole thing sucks. And like, I agree. It, I, we really kind of lose the sport. I agree but with that. I, agree I with don't that. think that's going to happen. I think we'll still have a fun college football playoff that makes some sense. It may not be the way everyone wants it to be, but for the most part, I think we'll still have that. But to me, that's like the big key now. I'm not as worried about where all these teams end up and how the conferences are aligned. It's just give me a, a good playoff agreement for the next, you know, they've got four more years, I think, under the current agreement. Give me an, another 10 years of a good agreement, and I'll feel pretty good about that. Give me an SEC division that has Kentucky, Vandy, Tennessee, and Missouri and a chance to win that to play in the playoff, and I'm, I'm all for it. How about that? I'd be great for UK fans. I know it would. UK is so insulated in this whole thing. There's nothing but good that can come for, for UK out of all of this. That's correct. I, I mean, honestly, because like basketball wise, they're fine. Like nothing's going to happen to them there. Right. And for the football stuff, they're a big enough SEC program that they're not like, even when people start talking about relegation, all that stuff, it's not like UK is up for conversation in any of that. That's correct. Like they're still a value enough brand. Everyone wants them. So uh, yeah, UK is in a perfect spot right now. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. Uh, you don't have any betting stuff that you want to talk about, do you? I do not, although I guess I'll, I'll, I'll mention the Live Tour real quickly. It's not really gambling-wise, but man, oh man, these these dudes that are just, it, it, they, they are blowing this up left and right. What, here's the thing. Here's the big question. So the, the conversation is Barkley going to the Live to be a commentator. Do you think that would draw interest, eyeballs, and do you think, Rick, that it would also get a network of some kind involved to televise it? I don't know about the latter question just because I don't know the economics behind, you know, like the live doesn't, the live tour itself doesn't seem to care about making money. Correct. They seem to care about cleaning up an image and they have unlimited resources. So I don't know if they have a business model that's set up to make a media partner money if they do some type of broadcast deal. So that part I don't know about, but in terms of would Charles Barkley interest people and, and draw more people in, I absolutely think it would help. Yeah. I, agree I think that. he's so mainstream. Yeah, I agree. It's and he just, just like, doesn't, he just doesn't care what he says. Yeah. And it's like, it's like having a, a social media influencer join. It's like, will it, will it be great? I don't know. Well, but I, I know that he has a huge following and people will tune in just to see what it looks like because they like Charles Barkley. Hey, there are, there, I wouldn't say a lot of guys, a lot's not the right word, Boy, there are, there are, there are, I mean, Henrik Stenson gave up, being Ryder Cup captain, which is pretty prestigious to go join the Live Tour. That's a pretty big middle finger to everybody. It's uh, it's become pretty interesting. It's no longer just this, the outskirts of the sport, and it's kind of like being shunned. It's now some mainstream guys are getting involved, and it seems like it's going to be easier and easier for the rest of these guys to take the bag and not worry about their image. No, you're right. I think it's exactly right. All right, Skinny, where does Skinny rank the decision to, quote, see what Ryan Finley has on the strategic positioning for a draft pick chart in modern football, basketball, baseball? It, it, it's it's that, that was that was honestly just one of the worst picks ever. I, I'm not sure who rated him, who saw him, who who evaluated him that that actually made them trade up on that day to take him. And trust me, I am no expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um I think I know most sports. I think I can coach most sports, and I've coached two of them, um, at least at the high school level, baseball and basketball. But the first time I watched Ryan Finley throw, and it's one of my favorite stories, he was so bad that I actually tried to give the kid an excuse of, um, you know, is your arm sore? Uh, was the football wet? Because it was a kind of a wet, drizzly day, and he would have none of that. And that's when I went, A, you're a douche, and B, you suck. I See, I took this to mean uh, they were talking about the, the Dalton year where they, they benched Dalton to play Finley to ensure that they were going to oh, get the number one pick sorry, in yes, Burrow, yeah, no, in I'm which sorry, case yeah, it was an all-time great decision. Yes, I'm sorry. If that's if that's I guess I mis misheard the question. So, yes, then that was the that was the right decision to make. Yes. I, I, I will say I don't think Zach Taylor communicated that very well to Andy Dalton either. I mean, I, I guarantee if he'd have gone to Andy and said, listen, 
dude. We're, we're just going to play this kid. We're tanking. We're already done for the season. We're 0-9 as we are, whatever the hell they were at the time. Um, we're playing for draft position. I think Andy would have swallowed hard. I think Andy getting blindsided really hurt him. Um, in fact, I know it did because we were there that day talking to him, and you could tell the hurt in his eyes and the hurt in his voice and the hurt in the conversation. Um, I, I think getting blindsided hurt him. I, I think the lack of communication there was was probably the the, the, the worst part of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was one of those. And then I think you got to the point of, okay, we're pretty close to sewing this up. And we've got some guys on this team that don't want to lose every game. Andy, we're going to restart you just to win a couple of games. And they did. They almost blew it, but they didn't. Skinny, the Elam ending. Yuck. <laughs> well, that, that, the, the question was like it or hate it. If you like it, would you want to see it stay in TBT, added in college basketball, added in the NBA, or added in both? And if it is in this college basketball or NBA or both, would you add it four minutes before the end of the fourth quarter in regulation or add it in overtime? Nah, I, I, I think you like it. I, I know our guy Mo Egger loves it. Um, I just don't. I mean, you you put time on the clock and let's play to the time on the clock, and that that's that's enough for me. I I no, that, that's just too much for me. I and I think for the average fan, they don't they're not going to understand it, and they're going to it's it, no, I don't like it. I just don't like it. Just but you have time, and if you can't win in the in the time allotted, then that's the the ball game, game set match. Well, but that's not really the issue. The whole point of it is to eliminate people dribbling out the clock and fouling each other at the end of the game, which it does eliminate that. You that's just part of the game. To win. I know, but it's, it, I will, I will say this makes it more exciting more often than not, mm. where you're just trying to score. You don't have, if you can hit three buckets in a row, at, you know, and get to eight, hit a couple threes and then, and then a layup at the buzzer or not at the buzzer, but to, to walk off, walk it off. You can do that in 30 seconds or a minute if you want. Like, you don't have to yeah. sit there and dribble the clock out and play the whole game of fouling each other back and forth. So it can be more I, exciting and easier yeah. to watch. No, but I also think it's more of a novelty thing that is fun for something like TBT. I don't I don't think I need it in college basketball or in yes. the NBA. No, I, for, but, for, T, for TBT, that, that, that yeah, you're right. That's That part's fine, I guess. I just... I like well, novelty to a certain extent. I like seeing those types of things done. And this is a good one in the sense that it does actually fix a problem that we have with the sport. So see, I don't think it's a problem though. I'm not a big, I, you know what? Go make your free throws. Yeah. I mean, look, it's like you said, it's part of the game. I'm, it's not like it's something I complain about during the NCAA tournament too often or anything. But when I see this alternative out there and it's like, Hey, almost every game. Yeah. Occasionally you win on a, a made free throw at the end, but for the most part, every game is made on a walk-off shot, it does add some intrigue and make it more fun. And and you're not racing against the clock if you're down, right? If you can just pile yeah, up I, 10, 15, it. 20 stops in a row, that's fun too to, to watch a team make that type of comeback. So again, what, the, the novelty is fun, but I also don't feel like it needs to take over the rest yeah, of the sport. I, I, don't want it, I don't want it in mainstream sports. You can put it in, in crap like the TBT. Yeah, it's perfect for something like this. Have you watched any of the TBT? You see... Uh, lost their first round game to a team well, from Fort Wayne and Taylor Persons. Yeah, I did not see the local teams. I actually watched the one in Rucker Park last night. It was cr- pretty cool to watch the outdoor game in, in, in historic Rucker Park. Yeah, that is kind of cool that they're doing that. Although I, I I feel like it would be harder to get guys to agree to go to Rucker Park. I guess they're going for the experience. But like these guys that are on pro contracts overseas, a lot of times it's it's tough to get them to sign up because you know their agents don't want them to. They're risking something. Man, I don't know that I'd be if I was an agent that I'd want my guy going and playing on the concrete there. Yeah, the one thing I would say though, man, Rucker Park just has so much history to it that I think even for younger guys, if you if you found out any part of the history, you'd say, I want to play at Rucker Park. Yeah, and everyone knows. I mean, it's not like it's uh you don't have to sell the the coolness of Rucker Park. Everyone agrees that it's it's historic and it's a cool spot to play, but uh, I, I just, I imagine some guys have got to be worried about the health of playing on the concrete like that. It's just, yeah, and I will say just, 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 just watching it and going, damn, this, I mean, just they're playing there and to see it live on TV, I thought was really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. I saw a guy take a charge last night in the, the game at Rucker and I was like, oh, I, I did not see that. that, that taking that, a charge on the concrete is, I was just saying, man, that that's a guy after my own heart right there now. Yeah, that really is a, a skinny all-star. All right, uh, round of golf at Augusta or St. Andrews, skinny, and your dream foursome to play with, alive or dead? Um, so I'm going to go St. Andrews, and it's funny you say that because I had a good friend of mine who called me yesterday, and he said, I got in my email today, and guess what I got in a good way? And I said, uh, you got us a free round of golf next week somewhere. No, but it has something to do with golf. And I said, you won, and I just threw it out. Yeah, you won tickets to the Masters. He goes, I did. 
because you know, you have to apply every year. We apply right. in our family. We've we've gotten uh, we've gotten practice uh, practice round passes before, but never to the live. And he said, "Guess what round I got?" I go, "No way, you got the final round." He goes, "I got the final round. Do you want to go?" And I said, "Yes, absolutely." So I'm going to Augusta with him next year. Wow, um, cool! Congratulations. Yeah, I, I I it's a bucket list thing, but to play. I, St. Andrews is just so freaking cool. I don't know why I say that because Augusta is really cool too and, and whatnot, but I just, I, I love, I wish they played the British Open there every single year. Um, obviously they have a rotation and that I, I would, if, if you gave me a choice, I'd play St. Andrews. I think St. Andrews is more playable too for, for the amateur as long as it's benign, as long as you're not playing in 40 mile an hour winds and rain. I mean, if you played this past week uh, because the conditions were so good, I don't think it would overwhelm you. I think Augusta would overwhelm the the 16 handicap golfer that I am. So, um, yeah, g- give me St. Andrews. Dream foursome, dead or alive. Arnold Palmer would have to be in it. Um, Jack, and I'm not picking Tiger. I gotta I gotta think about this for a second. You know what? I'm gonna pick Barkley only because he would be worse than me. So I'd have two guys. So I could we could play best ball with. Me and Arnie or me and Jack versus Jack and, and Barkley or Arnie and Barkley, and I'd feel good about winning some money off of that. If I have a chance to golf with any famous golfer, it's going to be John Daly. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I will say, dude, he looks so unkept. Yeah, and he, I love and, he, it. and he and he is. But you know, you look and and I, I you know I'm watching him. I'm like, man, he doesn't get around well at all. He's not taking care of himself at all, and he's shooting 73 in a major. And you can go, well, that's not very good. Yeah, it is for his age, his 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 physical stature, and all those things. Yeah, seventy three is pretty damn good. The dude plays barefoot and just hits nukes, absolute nukes. Still, despite being like you said, just completely falling apart in terms of his physical condition. But the bigger thing is, I've seen these reports of like what he'll consume while oh, he's yeah. out on the golf yeah. course. Yeah, it's like. The- 17 packs of M&Ms and nine diet Cokes. I, I just want to go see the show. I want to see what he consumed while we're on the course together. Yeah. I have a friend of mine that, that actually played on the PGA tour and, and one of one an event and he actually grew up junior golf playing against John Daly. And he would, he told stories of Daly, even, even as a, uh, you know, uh, I guess a high schooler into college age showing up half loaded and just beating the crap out of everybody in the field and walking away. And you're like, how did that just happen? We're pretty good players. He just killed us. And he's not even, he's not even here uh, uh, mentally and physically. And that's how talented he was. I love people that are just gluttonous. Like I, I'm, I'm glad I grew out of it at some point and like realize you don't have to eat a whole pizza when you sit down for a meal or whatever, you know, yes. you can just, and like, I'm fat, but I'm not like morbidly obese anymore. I'm glad about that, but I also miss it. And I love people that are still that way. Like well, I and, love watching someone who just consumes and consumes. It's fun. And, and, and listen, you know, the, the fact that he's a big boy is one thing. The fact that he's a big boy and then dresses loudly on top of it's another. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I saw there was a social media video of him the other day and he was somewhere in Ohio. There was like Toledo or something. And he's he gets out of a car. He's in like an oversized dry fit Arkansas football shirt. Uh, you know, he's barefoot. He's got some shorts on and he just gets out of his car and starts teeing balls up on the side. It's like he's hitting him over an expressway. He's on the opposite side of expressway. He's hitting him onto a football field that's on the opposite side of expressway. And he's hitting just 350 foot bombs. Over, over these cars and it's like this guy is lives a life that none of us could really imagine all right who who is more unkept in his look daily or hugs oh wow uh i would say hugs actually because <laughs> so here's the thing i think most people only think of hugs as when he's coaching games like when you see him on tv dude you should see hugs at an aau tournament Oh, I can only imagine. The man's wearing maternity clothes. I mean, he wears like this giant tent of a, a West Virginia pullover that looks like it's from 88. And then he'll be wearing the jean shorts with a elastic waistband. It's so funny, dude. So when he was uh, selected for the, or elected, rather, not selected, but elected to the uh, to the Basketball Hall of Fame, and rightfully so, um, I, you know, I put the story online and, and went into our system and just typed his name in to find a photo, right? And we've got a chunk of file art of Bob Huggins. One of them, obviously from his early UC days in a, in a nice suit and tie and fairly svelte. And you're like, 
wow, has that dude changed? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he used to be really well dressed. He'd always have like the three piece suits on yep. and get on the house of Adam or whatever and get his, his wild colored suits. And now he's, uh, it's, I don't, I, look, he's I'm Omar, all he's, for, he's Omar the tent maker. He's Omar the tent maker now. <laughs> exactly. And I, I'm all for college coaches being comfortable looking like the glorified gym teachers that they are, but the hugs just look sloppy. I yeah, mean, that's, there's no way it. around it. And a lot of that has to do with his weight. All right. Uh, would you rather be Steve Bartman or one of the fans who got decked by Ron Artest in the Malice at the Palace? Hmm. I think one of the fans that got decked as goofy as that sounds because I Bartman Bartman was in a living hell for a period of time through really no life. fault. Yeah, through, I mean the thirty for thirty on him is just spectacular in my opinion because it takes it from all angles, from the fans that were there angles. Uh, from footage of fans at their angles to the way that he, you know, he was treated. I mean, all those things through honestly nothing other than just reaching up to catch a foul ball. And um, some of it I blame on Moises Salute too, because his reaction didn't help matters either. He kind of fanned the flames of it. So, yeah, I, I'd rather be part of the one that just, you know, hit me once or twice. I'll be a part. I'll be in the middle of that. I'll, I'll maybe get a swing or two in, and I'm good with that. Um, I don't want to live my life in a shell. I, I'll, I'll take five minutes of pain and agony or whatever it is, as opposed to living the rest of my life in a shell, which Steve Bartman's kind of done. Yeah. Now, granted, I mean, you could be seriously injured by an NBA player punching you like that, I guess, but none of the people would, were. That, you know what? And, that, that and, and, if, and if so, I, I would I would have a healthy paycheck from that. True. That's that's a great point, man. There's no better way to get rich than getting punched by a super wealthy person. When you did, yeah, especially if you didn't, if you just were a random person at the wrong, wrong place at the wrong time. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. It would suck to get punched by Ron Artest, but that's that's a five to five minute to two day type of punishment as opposed to having your life really kind of screwed up like it was for Bartman. So do you think that's the worst thing Ron Artest has ever done in his life? Hell no. Exactly. <laughs> so I'd rather get punched by Ron Artest than have something else. Yeah. What are Skinny's opinions on adults taking baths? I feel like it sounds great in theory, but in practice, I just feel like I'm basking uncomfortably in my own filth. Um, yeah, I'm not a bath guy. In fact, it's funny you say that. Man, oh, man, I'm trying to think the last time. Even to soak, like, you know, you've done something hard work-wise or back in the day when you'd play ball and, you know, you were sore and all that. Uh, I'm not a big – I'm not a big – I'm trying to think the last time I took a bath. I know I've taken one in this house and we've lived in this house for almost 30 years. So I do know I've taken at least one in this house, but you know, once you get the, the shower head with the pulsating thing, you don't really need the bath that works the kinks out in my opinion. So yeah. I, and I'm kind of weird. I don't want to sit in my own filth either. Yeah. The bath thing is just weird. Plus it's, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like there aren't a lot of baths where you, unless it's made to be a jacuzzi tub, like in a master bathroom, you don't really fit well in that as an adult to just sit there in the tub yeah my, now my youngest daughter she she loves she loves the bath she'll get candles out and you know she's she's tiny she's five feet so she does fit in the in the tub pretty well she loves baths and i'm like well why would you want to sit there for 30 minutes and become a prune just get yourself clean and get the hell out and move on with your day bro yeah i think that's the other part i would just get very bored doing yes. that but i will say how do you feel about hot tubs? Because I love a good hot tub. I love good hot tub too. I'm with you. I, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But you know what though? It's, it's, it's not usually your hot tub. It's at a, at a pool or I mean, excuse me, at a, at a hotel, um, which you can argue is gross. But yeah, I mean, I'm, the I'm, hot tubs I'm, are probably I'm, nasty too, or, or even nastier yeah, maybe. But, the, but, but the, at least but there's the, chlorine, but, and it's yeah. and to me, I feel like if anything's super hot, it's yeah, just it's like the, it's gonna kill the germs off. <laughs> yeah. I don't, no, I don't think there's any signs behind that, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I am someone that like I when we move into the, you know, like a, a longer term house, um, I I think we will get a hot tub because I, I think I'm someone that would use it more nights than I wouldn't. Even in cool fall or, or winter times, correct? Well, almost exclusively in those times. I wouldn't like it during the summer much, but when it gets cold out, I love a good hot tub and then you get in the cold air that's like the best feeling with snow on the ground it's a good call yeah i'm big into that all right uh has skinny ever been rickrolled before and is it ethical to rickroll someone over 60 um yeah there's there's no ethics to getting rickroll i've not been rickrolled but yeah there's there, i don't think there's a, is there, do you think there's any ethics to that 
No, I I like was shocked when I saw this question. I was like, what are what are we talking about? I'm surprised you've never been rickrolled before. Nope. Um, but yeah, is it ethical? I don't yeah, I don't I feel like people over 60 would get it as well as anybody. They know who Rick Astley is, right? Exactly. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't I don't have any issues gonna, with the ethics of Rick rolling. I think it's never gonna corny, give you but, up. Yeah. So there you go. That was uh, that was the last question of ask any anything. Maybe I ended on a bad question. Well, but... no, maybe 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 we're gonna get Rick rolled over that question. Yeah. Well, just watch if you get any email. Here's the thing: I don't click on any e- any links I get sent in emails or tweets or anything like that anyway, because they're all just like spam bots ready to take over my accounts. So yeah, the, the, you can't the one click on anything. The one that's been going around now, I'm sure you've gotten these too, is the the ones where it'll be a random name where you don't know them, and oh, actually, one of my shit, the person I must have gotten hacked the one of did you see these pictures i posted on facebook no oh, yeah that's that is like the uh new african prince that wants to give correct. you a huge sum of money trick correct and in our company as you know we have to do all those stupid stupid uh online safety quizzes and stuff so i've i've learned to uh i've i've learned to become judicious when it comes to to my email yeah i love those all, all the employees have to do all these things and it's all the higher ups that end up clicking on the things and screw it all up i That's mean you just got you gotta love technology yeah. yeah when we got hacked i still wonder who clicked on the thing that we got hacked on yeah please please send me more emails about how i didn't do my training yet because i promise you i'm not going to be the one to click on a fake email but uh, that's a good call that's a good call rick appreciate it as always thanks for you guys listening thanks for the questions keep them coming each and every week appreciate those for rick Broy, i'm richard skinner it's been the skinny podcast the weekly potpourri edition presented by ryan kiefer of prime lending